Creating a great video game is hard, and it's nothing like what you see in the movies. Adios, turd nuggets. Making a game that people find fun and rewarding is like building a house blindfolded. You might have a stellar blueprint and an A-team, but the real magic happens only when you press play on the first build and make improvements and reiterate over and over and over again until you actually hate playing your game. And guess what? Making games for new technologies like XR, AI, and blockchain, you don't even have blueprints. It's completely uncharted territory. That's where Adrian Lacey, a gaming exec at Ubisoft, steps in. He's the creative force behind some of Ubisoft's biggest brands like Rabbids, Ghost Recon, and Just Dance. And now he's the go-to for integrating new technologies into Ubisoft's most successful franchises. Adrian shares his secrets on game development for the MetaQuest and why it will be different than ever before. Friends, here's Adrian Lacey. Hey, Adrian, how's it going? Wonderful. Lovely to see you, David. Where are you right now? Uh, Montpellier, South France, uh, in the middle of a heat wave. So I, I'm, in, I'm in the cellar <laughs> to try and stay cool and frosty for this wonderful interview. <laughs> That's fantastic. Thank you for joining us here today. We really appreciate it. Adrian, you know, I, I never asked this from you, even though we worked together for a long time and we've known each other for decades. You know, please share the audience your origin story. Ah, well, I, I, you know, I worked uh, before video games as we know it today, I guess, uh, the consoles and all that kind of stuff. I actually worked in arcades. Uh, I was Obviously, I grew up in the UK, um, my later life. Uh, so I worked in post pub slot machines that you might be aware of, you know, the, the fruit machines that you get into pubs, uh, bingo machines or arcades with penny pushers, those kind of things. Um, so that's the industry I, I sort of started in. That's how I sort of found this fascination of games. Um, I did a lot of research. I actually started in market research, uh, talking to different players way back when, you know, why they play these kind of games and, and uh, what they love about them. And you find this fascination of, of, of players. People like to play games. There's a, a joy and excitement that goes with it. And that kind of went along with my, my fandom of, uh, growing up with Nintendos and ColecoVision <laughs> and all that kind of stuff. So I always wanted to make games. Um, but the difference was in arcades back then, it was printed circuit boards. Um, it was a little bit different. It was a little bit more mechanical. Like you had to press a button, you had mechanical reels. And I saw it was, it was weird. I was thinking about this uh, the other day, actually. Um, I was talking to someone about touchscreens. And when I started in slots, in coin-op and mechanical slots, touchscreens were just coming out. Now, this is going back in like 1998, I think it was. And we had these like big, massive screens and touch screens. You had to like put, virtually punch them <laughs> to, to, to get them to work. Uh, so, I, I mean, I've seen the evolution of different technologies over, the over time. And that's always led to my fascination of sort of video games and why I wanted to carry on in games because it's always on that, that cutting edge. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I think in terms of gaming, uh, people don't understand quarter gaming or even gaming that you would see in, in you know, gambling type settings. Those are all the similar mechanics that we see in video games today. So that transition must have been pretty easy. But how did you end up at Ubisoft? Oh, um, well, I actually, I, I did, I've sort of been around. I was in distribution. I used to work with Hasbro Micropose way back when. Uh, I worked with a couple of French companies, uh, developers. Uh, I worked for TDK uh, when they started their gaming division in Luxembourg and in Germany. So I've done a lot of the different places around Europe over time, Paris and what have you. Uh, and I was actually, I was actually living in Mexico City of all places. I, I went back to Mexico to see family and stuff. 
and I was writing. I was I used to do a bit of writing, a bit of freelance writing. And uh, headhunter phoned me up and they said, look, there's this job and it's and it's in the south of France. And I joked when I went to Mexico, I said, I need sunshine and heat. That's what I actually said to their And otherwise I wasn't interested. And uh, she goes, it's, it's in the sun. So you have to do the interview. And I was like, now, now, see, now I'm regretting it at 38 degrees. You know what I mean? That'll teach, that'll teach me for what I am. Be careful what you wish for. Um, <laughs> and, she, and so I said, okay, I'll do the interview. And um, a couple of people phoned me up. Uh, from Ubisoft um, gave me kind of a an overview of what I'd be working on. Um, they introduced me to two games. So the two games that I'd be working on was King Kong, uh, Peter Jackson's King Kong with Michel Ancel uh, way back when, and uh, Ghost Recon Advanced Warfighter, which actually took place in Mexico City. Uh, so they phoned me up. One of the guys, the 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 one of the senior product managers and the head of the studios phoned me up, did the interview, and they're like you're in Mexico. I can recognize the number. And I'm like, yeah, I'm in Mexico. And they're like, really? That's interesting. So they brought me over to Paris and they showed me, um, I, I wasn't sure, you know, I wasn't sure about moving back to France and what have you. And they showed me the target game footage of Ghost Recon Advanced Warfighter. And, and it blew my mind. It blew my mind. It was, I think, you know, it was the next generation of consoles. It was HD. It was all, it was that sort of transition. It was like 2004, 2005. And they were like, what do you think? And I'm like, like, well, I was trying to negotiate a little bit, but I was like, yeah, <laughs> you know, I think I was, I was, I was literally chomping at the bit. <laughs> uh, um, and ironically enough, so they, they fortunately for me, uh, they showed me that I couldn't believe, I thought it was incredible. They hired me. I moved to Montpellier and then they asked me to take the team back to Mexico City uh, to do kind of a recon mission take loads of photos so we could recreate Mexico City with the art director, JC, uh, and uh, one of the level designers back in the, uh, in the day. So we actually went around for like four, four or five days, and we took thousands upon thousands of photos of Mexico City. And if you look at Advanced Warfighter, all Zocalo Plaza and all the center of Mexico is, is true to, um, well, almost true to what Mexico City is in real life. So it was kind of one of the first times we had that authentic world building integrated in, into our productions in Next Generation because we could do it. The power was there. And same with the lighting, actually. If you look at the lighting, the way the lighting was done within the game was very similar, very realistic to what Mexico lighting looks like. So that's why I'm here. <laughs> yeah. Warfighter, War Ghost Recon, specifically in the Tom Clancy franchise, really nailed realism. That was the whole... Um, value proposition of what the Tom Clancy franchise brought together. And it was also the, one of the earliest games that Ubisoft used a lot of photogrammetry to get that realism from buildings and such. That's really fascinating. You know, Adrian, you have such an extensive experience in the game industry. Now that you see in 2023, the, the landscape changing, how do you see the landscape of XR gaming evolve over the years? Well, I think... You know, if, I think like anything, I think players change. Uh, there's an evolution with the player. Uh, you know, if you look at sort of our generation, how we started, you'd buy a box game, you'd play the game, uh, then you give it or you rent it or what have you. Uh, now you've got all these different platforms. You've got subscription services. I think I think the way players are, they consume much in a, in a way that's very nonlinear. Um, it's not like a day and day. It's it's they jump from game to game. There's a lot more, you know, we live in a creator economy now. Um, every creator is born every second. There's a new creator every second. Um, 
They're much more familiar with technology. They like sharing their experience. They like giving things, they like giving things to other people and showing things of what they've done and what have you. And you see that with the, the, the huge expansion of games like Roblox or Minecraft, or even the creative mode in Fortnite. So, you know, the, the, the marketplace is very different for the player. Um, it's, it's much more of a sharing, uh, a much more watchable. I mean, even just the watchability of games, I, I, you know, we used to have to phone a hotline up, uh, to get, to get a cheat code for, from Nintendo. <laughs> there was some poor guy sat there and you're kind of like, uh, you know, I'm on this level of Mario. Can you get me through this bit? Cause I'm stuck. And that was, you know, it was, a, it was a phone number. <laughs> and plus we had one of those like old rotary dial things. So it took you half an hour to get there. Um, now it's the players themselves um, that are, you know, I was watching my son play Zelda and he, while he's playing Zelda, he's watching a guy play Zelda and then he's watching the older Zeldas just to compare how the and I'm just like, what is going on? Um, so I think, I think the, the way our, our clients have evolved is phenomenal. It's, it's transformed. Uh, technology itself, um, I think, you know, pixels to polygons that's one side i think we still live in this sort of kingdom of of 3d emptiness to a certain extent um i think we're not quite there there's still a, you know that photorealistic thing is one thing but at the end of the day we're interactive entertainment um and i think that's the big evolution that will happen over the next five years is the interactivity will increase the digitalization of our world if you if you see what i mean um and i think that's starting to happen you see that with things like voxels uh you see that with the involvement of sort of uh vr ar mr um uh, there's so many something else um you know these 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 kind of things are happening more and more um and yeah and i think i think players are adapting i think developers are adapting i think we're learning as we go uh, but i think you know the real evolution is is how more interactivity uh can we give our players um I, realism is one thing um i i'm a little bit different because i make games like rabbits or uh, just dance and things like that and although i love the photorealistic ghost recons and the clancy um i've also made games like valiant hearts uh which is a, a 2d world war one game that makes you cry um i you know I, I don't believe it's the polygons that make you laugh or cry or feel something uh necessarily it can help but it's it's not the be all and end all um and i think that's what we learn in terms of this creator economy and i, I think that's what's great about vr and the exchanging of of presence changes everything um i I, th I think you you did a lot of stuff in vr so you know that that i mean the first time i tried it i cried i think that's the first time i actually actually cried when they showed me toy box on i think at a dk2 or something and i was like oh you know it was when they first brought out the touches and i was just like oh my lordy me <laughs> i was like what is this um so yeah that's <laughs> i think that's that's the evolution and and with that evolution do you think there are going to be new challenges game developers will face in creating what, what people perceive as AAA content for VR platforms, considering that compared to traditional consoles, there's already a market, there's already a support system. What are, what are these challenges that game developers are now facing in this new, uh, new, new platforms? I think, um, uh, how do I explain this? I think VR, um, this is a very subjective opinion. It's not, you know, it's just my feeling having gone through making a game for VR. Um, 
you know, there, there's challenges. When you, motion gaming, we saw that first touch of motion gaming really come to fruition with the Wii. Um, so I, I was very fortunate. We did a lot. Of, I did a lot of stuff on the Wii in the time. So we saw how impactful uh, movement and how that adds to your serotonin levels, your dopamine levels. You know, that physical side uh, is brilliant. It's good for you. It's good for your health. It's good for your brain. Um, so, so you know, that's a real positive element. Um, what we we learned, the team learned very quickly in VR is everything you thought about when you made a game. You need to stop thinking about it, throw it away, and start again like it's something different. I'll give you an example. Uh, UI. You know, like the little maps in Call of Duty in the bottom left-hand corner on a shooter. That doesn't work in VR. You know, you're in – simple as that. So everything has to be integrated into that virtual space. Um, also, the, the, the impact when you're in a virtual space, um, you know, I was talking about that emptiness of 3D today, you know, a lot of decoration in games, you can't touch it, you can't manipulate it. And you accept that, you know, you walk in, you don't grab a light, you don't grab a glass, it's just a table, you know, you can't move things. In VR, that bothers you. It bothers you a lot. Your brain's like, ah, I don't get it. I don't like it. Um, so we, we learned a lot about uh, your hands, embodiment, you know, having your, your physical body was really important for people. Uh, the challenges of motion sickness. Um, I think, you know, there's, there's all these different things. And plus the power of the devices. Um, you know, it's frame rate. Really, VR is frame rate first. Um, if the frame rate's not working, if it's low, it's dropping, it's uncomfortable for everyone. Um and you have to, there's attentions to little, it's a lot, you know, people, we did a lot of experimentation with motion sickness and it's not necessarily just one thing. It's lots of lots of different little things that can accumulate and you've got to be, it's just a different way of thinking, a different way of, of processing. It's a different way of working. Um, a lot of teams struggle because they don't work in VR. We were very fortunate. All our editor, all our tools were in VR. We built a custom tech just for virtual reality. So we were at a huge advantage. It was uncomfortable at first, I won't lie, because <laughs> things were, you know, things were a bit buggy in the beginning. I mean, there's a couple of times when people would like change orientation and we'd all be walking sideways. Uh, you know, it's like, so you've got to be a bit careful. Um, but working in that space and editing in VR and playing in the maps was, was one of the critical elements. And I think mixed reality will allow that to be much easier for developers as well because then you're not shut off you can still work you have your virtual desktop and you can still build maps in in sort of 3d quite easily that are integrated into that space and that's why the virtual desktop and things like that i think is that first real step to to, to crossing over and jumping through the the looking glass i, I couldn't agree more i think it's all the little things that make a VR experience wonderful. When there's things like frame rate, rate issues or lag, or even the uncomfort of the headset itself uh, that may cause motion sickness also in terms of the optics, um, when your brain is saying, hey, this is not exactly correct, mm. you might have to throw up because you ate a poison mushroom. <laughs> Those are all key factors to make sure that you have a great VR experience. But at the same time, you didn't have to worry about with traditional 2D screens. So I think that's also going to be an issue for why game developers don't want to jump in is because they may themselves not be very comfortable in, in XR. 
Um, it just kind of reminds me of a conversation that I had with someone who worked at Sony, who had his job was to convince game developers like Lucas Arts to say, "Hey, let's let's build a Star Wars game for Sony PSVR," or mm-hmm. you know, talking to you know other people of big blockbuster franchises, and he would get the response, "Well." You know, I love some of your Sony IP, your first party IP. How come you're not investing those titles yeah. in XR? Do you hear a lot of those conversations a lot? Yeah, I, I think there was there was um, hmm. the 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 funny thing that I always found. I mean, I think people often forget in video games there was motion sickness when Doom was made. Uh, when we first started playing around with sh- first person mm. shooters, people were getting dizzy, and I've played. I played 2D games that made me feel sick. Uh, we all remember Mirror's Edge. We all remember things like that. And, you know, there's there's things you've still got to be careful on. And I think um, VR was different because um, I think we tried to, we, uh, I think the industry tried to jump it across uh, to the mainstream too quickly. Uh, my, my, my instinct was all of a sudden, you had people who didn't play video games trying to play a video game in VR and then saying they felt sick. If I gave them an Assassin's Creed or I gave them any other uh, game, a pad, they wouldn't be able to play either. They'd be running into a wall. They wouldn't know how to jump. They wouldn't know how to do stuff. You know what I mean? They'd have the same problems. But people were so excited. They were like, oh, I want to try. I want to try. And then they were like, just do it. I mean, I saw crazy things. I saw people who didn't play games put a VR headset rolling around on the floor rather than just take the headset because they couldn't do what they wanted to do. And I'm just like, what's going on? <laughs> uh, I, I mean, I, I, we really did see some strange things. And I think, I think that was, I think we're responsible for that. We tried to jump it into the mainstream too quickly. Um, I think we had, even in terms of the way we created content, mm. everyone was saying, we want to make games for, we, we want to port this game into VR, but it's not the same thing. Um, you take Clash of, you know, the success of Clash of Clans today, we all know, or and, you know, you see it today. But it was de- originally developed for iPad, if I'm not mistaken, not for mobile phone. It was done for an iPad, and it was all the, ta- all everything. It was, they saw the tablets, and when they first started, they really wanted to make something for a tablet. And that's why it's so good, because it, it was focused on the platform that they were doing. I think it was Clash of Clans. You have to, might have to correct me on that. <laughs> but, you know, that's the, and I think that's the mistake a lot of the developers made. Uh, I think that's a lot of what the brands did as well is rather than trying to create something unique, uh, maybe not as long, um, you know, it was the same thing is how long can we make it? Like an open world with all this stuff, you know, how, let's make a 12 hour game. And I'm like, you don't want to be in VR for 12 hours. You just don't. I mean, I've, I've sat in VR for, for easily 15 hours. It's not... It's doable, but you know I don't want to do that every day. Um, and I think, and I think I've looked. You know, when you look at the content, YouTube's a great example. Um, you know, we went from TV shows to YouTube. You know, much shorter, sort of four or five minutes, and then you have sort of TikToks that's even shorter. It's like one minute or two minutes. So VR didn't do that. VR tried to take a copy paste of the gaming industry and then shove it into VR. Huh. You know, I don't know if that was the wisest first step. 
yeah, it was a great way to learn. But I think there were, there's so many more opportunities in it in terms of entertainment, uh, in terms of experiences. And, and there's definitely stuff out there. But I think we should have just focused on those ones, the uniqueness of it first, before trying to just get big IPs and shove them on the platform. Or, you know, look at look at the games that work. Super hot, uh, Beat Saber. Uh, they're unique to that platform. They use that platform. I mean, super hot, I still play. And it was a PC game, but it just works in VR. It just, it fits with you. You're empowered when you're in it. You're just, everything's around you. It's just in VR. It's an amazing game. It was an amazing game on PC, but in VR, it just clicks. Um, and same with Beat Saber. Fitness. I do a lot of fitness stuff in, in VR, which is interesting. I don't mind it. It's quite, it gets you going. You forget that you're doing it. You get, it, it's interesting. I do hit the wall still a little bit. Because I never put the Guardian on its old habits. <laughs> yeah, with with XR fitness and training, it definitely motivates you. Number one, because you're actually set in a, a real environment and yeah. you're using your body physically in the game. And I think you you nailed it in terms of building games for XR. You really have to think about the platform at the end user. If you look at the top XR games today, they're like you said, super hot Beat Saber. Those are the same games from two years ago, or even exactly. more longer for that, for that yeah. matter. And we we haven't necessarily had content that really, um, you know, like the gaming console industry. You're seeing cycles of new content come out every two to three years. Um, but at the same time, we're still at that stage at, at that early nascent stage of game developers just getting into the fray. You know, changing topics a little bit. The Apple Vision Pro has been announced. What do you think of that hardware? And how do you think that's also going to change how game developers will be thinking about building for XR? Um, I, think, I think for those who, who sort of worked early in VR, they, they, they recognized what the vision was. Um, we, we often talked about spatial computing uh, way back when. I think it was a really good move. I think they, they jumped it. They, they said it. They said, like, you know, a spatial OS. And it's like, yeah, you know, this this is what it is, is that 360, you know, we live in a 3D world, yet we're, we consume everything in 2D. And I think that's the big shift. Um, you know, we are literally going to jump into a 3D world again, uh, uh, full time with with Vision Pro. And, I, you know, and I, and I think I think there's nothing to take, you can't take away from what Meta has done over the last few years in terms of their hardware. Uh, from a hardware perspective, from a price point, from just generally what they've done has been phenomenal in that. From a DK1 to today, sometimes I'm like, ah, you know, okay, I know it's cost a bit, but still, still, they've they've taken it very, very far. I mean, I, I put the Quest Pro on and I was like, all right, you know, fair play. Um, and, and, you know, from a cost point of view, if you look at sort of Quest 2, Quest 1, if you look at the price point, it's cheaper than a mobile. It's like, you know, and it's, there's a lot of hardware in that device, you know, it's um, so, but, but vision for vision pro, I think, I think the hands, um, I, I'm a gamer, but I, so I'm going to miss the controllers. It, it goes again, but I know how important that's going to be. Uh, and I know Apple out of everyone are going to be able to do anything that's UI and UX better than anyone. Uh, it's their skill set. That's what they're good at. They know how to keep it fluid. They know how to keep it simple for people, super accessible. Uh, I think they were very smart opening up their platform to app developers, which is what they did 
even though I think back way back when Apple didn't really want to open up to app developers, but I think that's the right move. Um, I think that that's a smart because everyone's always looking for that big breakthrough app, but sometimes it's about that small little thing that changes it for everyone. Um, so I think that's, that's going to be a break. They have the cameras. I think the cameras and putting it as a, I, I remember seeing the video when they announced it, it's like they had it, they had it just on the table in the middle of the lounge. I mean, it's got like 12 cameras or something crazy. It's like people are just going to use it to, if they put it, if you put it in the middle of your lounge, people will just use it to film, you know, uh, when you're sat around a table or whatever, and then you can actually go back in and spend time in that space. So I think building memories, entertaining memories will be interesting. I think Apple will find a way to integrate that into their ecosystem. I think Apple players, you know, they've got, I think, 30% of the market. I think Apple ecosystem, people feel safe within it. I think that's a big change. Um, I think the Apple users, uh, I, I, because I'm in games, I tend to have to work on PC. I tend to work on PC. I, my wife's all Apple, so we're <laughs> divided in two and a half. All the house stuff's Apple, and all the work stuff for me is is sort of PC and Android. Um, what's interesting is I think from an entertainment point of view, from an ecosystem point of view, it's such a strong ecosystem. And people feel very comfortable sharing stuff within their, their platform, their Apple devices. Uh, they've all got a watch. They've all got a phone. They've all got a MacBook. They've all, so it's it's an easy transition. I think that's probably been the hardest bit for sort of meta today. I think it's been the hardest point. Um, they, they're kind of on everyone's devices from a software point of view, but they're not the hardware go-to for a mobile phone, for a watch, for anything like that. And I think that adds a friction point that's difficult. It's a difficult hurdle, which Apple w will remove completely. So, uh, and I like the eye, I like the eye things. I like the, I think that was a smart move. Uh, <laughs> I like that. I don't know why, but I just like it. I think it's funny. Well, with the multitude of cameras, it allows for better hand tracking, which you've you ever, you've, you've noticed this when people are trying virtual reality, because they're so present in that experience, they believe that they can use the controllers just like their hands. Mm. And so again, those little things that make great XR experiences, they add up. And when you're not getting that full immersion of hand tracking, it takes you out of that immersion. And then it also penalizes the player because they feel like they've done something wrong. Absolutely. And then psychologically, they're thinking, well, this is not a great experience. So it, it's not good for anybody. Now switching gears, now since we're talking about the Apple, since we talked about the Apple Vision Pro and we have uh, other technologies like Web3 and blockchain, which I know you're very familiar with, how do you think blockchain is going to intersect with gaming, the gaming world and its potential to intersect with XR for the future? Um, I think, you know, again, I think it's, uh, I, I'm fortunate that I, I kind of live in a world that's in the little bubble on the edge of the, the cusp of, <laughs> of a ravine. Um, I think the public has a very different perception of blockchain. Um, I think the public has a, a VR of all these things. I'm sort of immersed in it and, and I don't look at it as in the short term. I look at it sort of five years um, just because of the nature of how we work. We look at it five years, 10 years down the road. Um, to go back to what I said earlier about the creator economy, uh, the digitalization of our world, the digitalization of brands, um, digital ownership. Um, that's how I see it being used, you know, as a creator today. And, I, you know, I had this weird, you know, we obviously 
I work with blockchain. I know how it works and whatever. And I saw the backlash come in. But what I always try to explain to people is why do you think there's a backlash? And I said, the, the reason you think there's a backlash is because rather than just slowly introducing it into certain ways and testing it and iterating on it until it's clean and feels good and works well, we thought everyone on board, everyone jump in, push, 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 jump on, everyone put it on, everyone blockchain, NFTs. It was like, and you're like, and then the, the problem with that, people were jumping in something which they didn't really understand. Now, funnily enough, the younger people do understand it because um, they understand digital ownership. Um, you talk to a, a 45, 50-year-old guy who doesn't play games um, or anything, he, he he watches Fortnite and the guy's buying digital, you know, skins. He's paying like 50 euros a month on skins. <laughs> you know, it's like, he's like, what's he doing? I don't Does he own it? No, <laughs> no, he doesn't own it. What about that? No, he doesn't own that either. What about that? No, doesn't own that. Not, can he take it out and use it somewhere else? No. And you're like, what? And you're like, and that's when you start to realize we're a comic book generation. You know, our parents used to laugh at us when we bought comic books and we used to collect them and put them in little cases and say, one day these are going to be worth a fortune. Well, now they are. Yeah, but your parents used to think you were crazy and you were a big child. Uh, you know, I, 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 you know and, and I think that's how I see digital ownership. It's that there's a whole generation that we don't understand. And if you look at the average age within the, the creative creator economy, if you call it, or creators, they're on average about 10, 20 years old. 10 to 20 is their kind of age demographic. So anything, so I think, I think there, it hasn't arrived yet. I think it needs cleaning up. I think people are working through it. I think there's a lot of really smart people working through its usage and how it's going to develop and grow. Um, I think generally we, it had to be a, sl a slower, more steady purpose because now we're fighting the, the, the media bubble. It's like the metaverse, everything metaverse, everything's metaverse. It's like, everything's this. We live in this two week cycle of, of blah, 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 blah. And then we forget about it. Um, what people don't see is that there's a lot of people who've been working on blockchain for, for 10, 15 years. Uh, and there's some very, very clever people working on blockchain. Same with uh, different interactive uh, metaverses and what have you, uh, different types of software, security software. So I think it just needs, it needs time. It needs to be, cleaned uh to a certain extent and, ne and you need to get rid of a bit of the noise um and go back to the basics it should for the player myself my personal opinion it should be seamless i i shouldn't have to think about a wallet an nft this or that or whatever i shouldn't have to think about it i go into my ecosystem i get what i get i don't want the hassle uh, once you add those friction points uh, and i think platforms like apple for example um if you look within their ecosystem and you look how they do iTunes, but you rent music. You never thought you'd rent your CD, would you? You think you'd buy it, but you don't own it. You rent it. Um, so, you know, I think it's already all around us. It's just a puzzle that people still have to put together. Uh, um, and I think, again, it's, it's about the creators. The creators deserve to have digital or not they deserve real value they're the ones creating the content i think roblox has done a phenomenal job valuing their creators i think they've done a phenomenal job um and i think that's going to be something that carries on i think a, a lot of people have looked before roblox people used to poo poo it within the industry they'd look at oh it's not a real game oh it's a bit blocky people used to sort of look down at it when, when you've got 60 million monthly active users well you know 
you need to pay attention to what they're doing. Maybe they're doing something right. Um, <laughs> uh, and maybe they're looking at, and their players are very, very uh, uh, faithful to them, you know, and they, prov they, they provide that content and manage their content within their platforms. And I think that's been a brilliant, a brilliant thing for us to see as developers. And I think that'll continue and continue to expand out. I don't know if that answers your question, but <laughs> so. It does. That was perfect. I think that led into my next question. Roblox, Fortnite, they've already built their own metaverses per se. Mm -hmm. But what we define as the metaverse is an input like glasses that allow you to experience these worlds, but also the interoperability to be able to jump in from Roblox to Fortnite to whatever other game. And I think blockchain at least enables that because how are you going to keep a record of what you've earned and how that translates? And I think that's also the biggest hurdle for the metaverse to exist is that it's not going to be a closed ecosystem. How do game developers then prepare for that interoperability? Or, hey, look, it's still too early in the game. We, don't, we need to even figure out how the foundation works. What's your predictions on that? Um, I mean, that's a, that's a really tricky question, and it's a te it's a very technical question. Um, uh, the the way I the way I explain it, and this is I'm not I'm not an engineer, so I'll probably get shut down by engineers <laughs> trying to explain this. But um, if I look at <laughs> so every company has their own tech. Uh, generally, they have the, you know maybe it's a Unity or an Unreal, or we have proprietary engines. You can't just take stuff from this engine and put it in the other one. You just can't do it. Uh, whether it's character animation, whether it's the way the terrain's generated, or the FX, whatever. There's a lot of things that are specific to each individual engine. It's not a copy paste. You know, it's like it's like you can't do it from one operating system to another. You can't do it. It's like a, a Microsoft Excel. You can't just chuck it into a Quark Express. It doesn't doesn't work. Quark Express is an old reference for, <laughs> for those of you who are older. But the so it's I can't um, believe you just dropped Quark Express. Know, That's awesome. I, I've been trying to get it into a, a sentence for years. The uh, <laughs> um, so so I think <laughs> so I, I think. Um, it's not as easy as people think. However, um, uh, you know, you you look at how platforms are working. I think social platforms like VR Chat, uh, things like that, are really interesting because they try and make it as easy as possible as to bring in your avatars within to their space. Um, so I think defining ingredients that you could, that are interoperable is a bit easier uh, rather than hold worlds. Um, so I think there, there's a first step there. Um, and I think it's about the industry seeing what's a good idea, what's a bad idea. Um, today, if for, you know, that's why, do we want that? Is it something that everyone wants? Do I want to be able to take this and put it into a different game? I, I don't even know if people want to do it yet. People talk about they want to do it. So I think we have to find a couple of use cases where people can do it. And I think, you know, Roblox is probably one of the ones that's showing that way in terms of brands, at least. They're showing how brands are integrated. Fortnite, of course, the same phenomenal job integrating brands and having that collective idea. Um, so I think it's just going through those steps and it's just a step-by-step -step process. And we'll see where it goes. I think technically we have to be aware that it's it's not as easy as it looks. 100%. But I love what you said regarding brands, because I think that's also the first use case, especially regarding Roblox or Fortnite, considering those brands are probably going to be there in both those platforms. Absolutely. 
you know, even like hardware stores like Home Depot is getting into the metaverse uh, game. How do you translate those brand assets into different games? So I think that's right. I think no one's really articulated the way you did. And I think that's that's really on point. Oh, maybe, maybe One thing I that mean, I think oh, is sorry. missing from XR development today. No, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, I was just going to – you made me think of a, a really interesting point because um, you talked about brands. You brought it back to brands. It, so if, if you imagine what's the, what's the seamless metaverse of the future, and I think you talk about XR and that transition between the real and the virtual, you know, that seamless transition between the two. Um, I think when I'm in a shop in a game and I see something I want to buy and I click on it and it sends it to me through Amazon or whatever, I think that's when people will start to feel the metaverse as, a, as, a, as an easy transition between the two, as a fluid transition. They won't even notice it. Um, so if, if I don't know, I'm playing, uh, uh, <laughs> just dance or whatever, and I see the costume, I mean, we talked about this years ago, but you know, the, the dancers wearing her dancing outfit and I want to buy it. And all of a sudden I just go click and it's, and then all of a sudden it goes through Amazon and Amazon. And then a day later, or nowadays, like this afternoon, I have that same outfit. <laughs> that's when I start thinking that it's it, it starts to become quite seamless and interesting. Sorry, and, and that's where I think brands will really start to jump into that world, and they already are. I think they know that that's the folk, you know, that's really cool. <laughs> so sorry, <laughs> I interrupted. Yeah, because that's what. Uh, no, no, that that's a, that's a hundred percent on point. I think also people who are going to be used to this is the consumer that are associating with brands that also appreciate digital ownership. So I, I really love that example. In terms of storytelling for XR, which you have a lot of experience in storytelling and immersive content, one thing that's missing is the actual motivations for players. I think we've got the camera and controls right, but we don't have the character right. We, if you look at Beat Saber, we also talk about Super Hot. The controls are there because you're actually doing these mechanics physically and they feel right. And there's also like different uh, effects uh, and transitions you can do with the camera to make it feel more believable. But we haven't worked on the character. And you would think that would be the first thing that can really be exploited in XR. Mm -hmm. Why hasn't that been done? Um. <sighs> There's things I want to tell you, but I can't tell you. The, the, there's, um, <laughs> uh, it has been done. Uh, I, I, we've, we've done it. I've done it uh, in prototypes as tests, uh, and I've seen uh, a lot of tests around it. There's a couple of complicated areas. Um, there's, you know, the uncanny valley, the facial side of things. It's very complex to get that interaction, that that strong connection, that realistic interaction with a, a human or similar human face. I think AI and how it's evolved over the last sort of two years and stuff is changing that very quickly. Uh, you know, that the, the way facial animation works, the way little details, the changing of the things that me and you, when I, you know, it's hard over a video call, but in real life, we see how your skin pigmentation goes a bit red when you're embarrassed or you may raise a little, a little lip here or there or whatever. Um, because of the presence of VR, that's a times 10 of importance. And in video games, they don't have it. We don't, if you look at really, I mean, there's a couple, the closest to there are probably uh, 
uh, what's the game? Uh, who did the TV series? I can't remember. Uh, but um, they, they, um, th- there's only a couple games that really do it at that level. Okay. Um, in VR as well, you've got other triggers. Remember, there's, a, there's t- in video games generally, there's a lot of shooting, there's a lot of combat, there's a lot of stuff like that. I think in in VR, I, I can tell you, we did a thing where we were doing a uh, an assassination in VR. We did a prototype. So you came up behind someone, you grabbed them, you had full body IK, the body was moving, you grabbed a knife and you stabbed them. When we did it, we all went, oh, didn't feel comfortable at all. <laughs> we, we had neck snap and it just, we were right. like, whoa, whoa, that. So, so there's, there's that side of things that we often don't talk about. It's, it's, it's very personal. You're in a personal, you're in a very personal space. So things that traditionally in video games, you know, it's the, I call it the Rambo effect In Rambo. He kills like 700 people <laughs> with a machine gun and no one cares. But if you kill a dog, everyone's like, how could you kill a dog? Um, so it's, you, I think, the stories that we've seen in VR because they've looked at it from a gaming, pure gaming perspective and a gaming character perspective, rather than an emotional journey, rather, I mean, there's been a few examples, but I think they should have started there. That's my personal opinion. I would have done it a little bit differently um, in terms of storytelling. And I think there's still a lot of opportunity to do emotional storytelling. Um, I give you, I'll give you one example that I thought was a really strong example of a story to tell in VR. And hopefully someone will do it because I, I didn't get to do it. So this is my story. Um, we said, look, you know, if, if someone was wearing a bomb vest, okay, if there was just an innocent woman or man or whatever, just sat there and your job was to diffuse that bomb vest on them, right, in VR. So that means that you have to hold them still, you're on a timer, and you have to delicately manipulate the piece of kit on them while they're staring at you, while they're panicking, while they're crying, while they're telling you about their children, while they're telling you about this and whatever. The impact on you, the stress, your stress levels is phenomenal. But it's also a way that you have this sort of first person storytelling. You know, they're telling you all about them themselves they're telling you about their family their background it's not generic box so while you're doing something quite precise you're getting this emotional overload and we think and that's where i think some of the storytelling might go in the future i'm gonna make that game that game sounds fascinating (laughs) (laughs) i think um bringing the sense of urgency and you can imagine character development especially with tools uh, like in world that allows generative AI to write the characters exactly. um, narration and, and dialogue. Uh, it ups the game. I mean, we already see games like shell games from I expect you to die a, a, a bomb as a mechanic, but now adding a real person, I don't know why they didn't think of that, or maybe they did. Maybe, maybe it was too stressful and, and you know, it, that game is supposed to be more fun and casual, yeah. but that sounds like a fascinating game. What other recommendations, especially if you're an indie developer, because Adrian, you have such an, a wealth of experience building AAA blockbuster games. What advice do you have for the indie game developer that's thinking about developing for XR today? What are the steps? Um, I, th- I think, you know, 
before every blockbuster, there's 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 a, a small a small buster. I don't know. I don't know how you say it. There's a there's a starting point. <laughs> um, you know, a, a Just Dance became a blockbuster over the years, but at first it was uh, five guys who didn't know how to dance in a room uh, making a dance game uh, to dancing to Britney Spears. You know, that's who would have thought. Um, I think one of the big things is iteration. You've got to iterate. Um, I think you've got to try and try and try and try. Uh, you know, you don't really know what game you're making in the beginning. A lot of it is that you can do your PowerPoint, you can do the the story and what have you, and look at all the market and the KPIs. But you have to be ready to evolve. You have to be ready to constantly iterate and transform that game. You're gonna hit walls, and that's what I always say: get ready to fail, because that's what it is. You're gonna fail. You're gonna fail again. You're gonna fail again going to fail again and even when you've you've kind of succeeded you're kind of failing and you're not going to be happy with it so you're going to do more and you're going to you're 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 always going to want to have done something extra and more so you just got to be comfortable in that space um and i think that's probably the the biggest lesson w- working in games for 30 years or whatever that you get it's that that's the fun bit learn to enjoy that bit because that's the fun bit it's kind of you're constantly finding solutions and working through a problem that especially when you're on new stuff, um, you know, it's one thing when you do an iteration of a game, it's a little bit different. You you have that time to sort of polish and do what you want to do. I think, and, but I always find, you know, I only work on sort of three get like three sequels max. Um, it's just a personal thing. I, I like to change and do something different. Um, that's just my personal, um, um, personal preference, because I think you get, when you're doing sequels, you can get lazy. Um, it's e- it's easier. You're just adding. Whereas I love looking at that big abyss and not knowing where, you know, I'm just jumping in and not knowing where it's going to take me. And I think that's what you, you know, VR was that. I think AI is that to a certain extent. I think Vision Pro and mixed reality is that going forward. And I think when you're working in that, that's the cool bit. That's the fun bit. So get ready to fail is my advice. <laughs> that's great advice. We talked about this previously regarding game development in the game development process. I think in terms of the history of game development, there was a lot of time with smaller teams, but a lot of iterations, a lot of prototyping, a lot of trying to find that magic. You mentioned KPIs. How do you think KPIs and the way game develop, games are developed today to reach a bigger mass audience or have bigger expectations how has game development has changed in your opinion in the last 10 years? Uh, I think, I think uh, mobiles change that a lot. There's a much faster <clears throat> cycle uh, and you get data very quickly. So people are very quick to fail, iterate, fail, iterate, fail, iterate on, on mobile. So I think that's happened. Um, I think AAA games is, is we live in a, a sequence. Uh, 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 we live in a sequel world. Uh, and it's very, you know, you're, you're on version one, two, three, four, five, six iterations. So I guess when you're doing a, uh, a, a sequel KPIs can help, uh, when you're doing a live game, particularly, it helps you to iterate, um, you know, like if you're doing a shooter or something like that, it allows you to tweak stuff, balance stuff. So on that side, I think KPIs and understanding what players are doing is, is great. I think when you're talking about innovation, um, I think it's dangerous. Uh, I'll be brutally honest. It's it's a very personal opinion, but I think um, KPIs are one of those things. It's like, how do you know what you're going? How does the KPI know what you're going to do in the future? It doesn't. 
you don't know. Um, and I, 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 I don't know if I told you this story, but somebody told me a story. I don't know how true it is about NASA where they, you know, their lack of innovation. Um, they, they started removing KPIs from their innovation department because they were saying that it was, it was holding them back. It was always like, well, you have to prove it with a KPI. And it's like, well, I haven't done it yet. So I'm already stuck. I'm already stuck. Uh, because I can't, how can I prove something that I haven't made yet? Um, and I think uh, we've seen this in the industry and, and it's probably one of the, I mean, one of the things that is, that's always made sort of Ubisoft great is that they've sometimes just trusted instinct. They've just tried it. Um, it's what's allowed them to create some of those franchises. Because look, you know, and I always give Just Dance as a great example. Um, the dance market was next to nothing. You know, there was Dance Dance Revolution. All these games had sort of done, lived their life cycle. The dance was sort of dead. And everyone, everyone was like, a dance game? It's never going to work. The thing was number one for like 30 weeks. It cut, you know, it was a handful of developers that made it. <laughs> um, but it, had we only listened to KPIs, you would have never even tried. Never even tried. Uh, and I think that, and I think even the people that, and I think it's also inspiring for people to believe in things that we don't know yet. I think that's inspiring. I think that motivates you to try. That doesn't mean you don't use the KPIs to have an educated, you know, that increases your, your opportunity. It's an educated guess. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, we're guessing to a certain extent. Um, but I think relying too heavily on it has seen a lot of the bigger players, a lot of the data-driven companies, um, lack innovation they've struggled um i mean i i you know how true it is i couldn't tell you but you know a google when when they came into the games market their kpis all the time data 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 really they should have blown away the games market they should have won everything you know maybe data is not 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 the only answer and it's not because they don't have the talent it's not because they don't have the money and it's uh, you know they, they have some of the brightest people i've ever met I mean, when you sit with the Google guys, you're kind of like, you just feel a bit dumb most of the day. <laughs> it's like, same with the meta guys. Sometimes you just, <laughs> uh, you guys are just really smart, man. Um, but are they able to be innovative and express and try things that, that there is no answer to yet? Maybe they're not, you know, maybe they, maybe, maybe taking risks on things we don't know and having those little surprises is, is worth a try. Um, but that's, you know, Maybe that's an old man talking. Who knows? I, I couldn't agree more. That's a really astute observation. I think companies like Meta, especially the failure of Stadia, they have all the data. They have a, a keen understanding who the, that customer is and what that customer wants. But I think you, what you had mentioned was very fascinating in the sense that their way that they build their company and around data is not the same to make art and to make games. And exactly. I think that's a big equation to make art. There is a lot of trial and error and there's a lot of emotion. Uh, literally there's arguments going through yeah. game design <laughs> reviews. Yeah. And, yeah. and I think that's also missing when you look at how technology is built. How do you think we can address that better as an industry? Um, I think, I think, you know, it's, there's, there's a amount of friction within, I think, I think you said it very well when you're creating art. Uh, I think there is that natural friction. I think you need a little bit of friction. There's a lot of uncertainty and that makes you better. It makes you stronger. It makes it, it just makes, it brings a different energy to development. I think the, I think we've, a lot of companies and over the years, the industrialization of video games is not necessarily a way to innovate. It doesn't mean the games haven't progressed and got better. 
Uh, that's not what I'm saying at all. But we should also be careful is that we still we want to stay fresh. Because if you look at the movie industry, you know, they went through that cycle and they and they kind of lost their way. You know, Netflix came along. Vump. So you want to be aware. I mean, one of the ones that I look at a lot because I, I kind of they, they fascinate me in terms of, you know, that you've heard of them coming into video games. But if you look at how they value creative within their series, it's interesting. It's like, you know, they really try from different countries, from different avenues, from different languages, from whatever they 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 give and they finance projects. And they and, you know, they're, they're constantly trying to find the art in the in their content. Um, and I think that's an interesting way that they approach it. Um, I think for us in the industry as a whole, I think we I think having small pockets, smaller teams, because don't forget, teams have grown exponentially. You know, you're talking about six, seven hundred teams. How you know if I if I put you in a room with six or seven hundred people, try and lead them, try and guide them through a vision. Go on, I dare you. You know, <laughs> unless unless you're the head of like I don't know the the Marines or something, um, or, or you know maybe maybe. And even then, you know, you have it's a it becomes a mob. It becomes a mob, so you lose a lot of your agility. And people and a lot of the things that I found breakthroughs in games over the years has come from one person that. No one knows his name or her name. They don't know who it is. Uh, the lighting in Splinter Cell, for example, you probably couldn't tell me who actually did it. The the icon in Just Dance that comes from the right to left, you don't know their name. And that's what made it what it was. It, it, those little things that we talked about earlier, you know, uh, a lot of the time that little secret thing, that little secret ingredient was done by someone within the team who just had a crazy idea when they went home that night and programmed it in like two minutes, came back and was like, oh, can I try it? I think, I think we should never forget that. Um, I think in the bigger teams, it becomes very, very heavy to add that little piece of magic, which it never, before we didn't have that problem or not as much. It's always a problem with different times, but it's much, it's on a bigger scale. Everything's a bigger scale. There's much more risk with scale now you know when you've got six seven hundred people it's a different you're in a different problem uh it's not the same one and i think uh you know ubisoft's good they all they've always been very uh, and i think that's because it's 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 still uh, run a certain way and i think you know uh, i won't speak for eve but the way he's run the company over the years is and their family business and they've come from distribution and you know they've worked in different things i think um he's always managed to balance innovation uh, and allow teams to experiment. He's always had this experimental. He's a, he's still a dreamer, if you will. Um, so he's he's willing to to try things that maybe no one else agrees with, and he'll try it and just to see and things like that. And I think I think that's helped Ubisoft last as long as they have, definitely. Um, but I'd like to see you know everyone be more like that. It's I think it's the right way. I, I couldn't agree more. The VR report is also a time capsule that I try to capture what the current landscape is of, of virtual reality. Adrian, what are your predictions for the next two years? What are your next predictions for five years? I think that's as far as we can go right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I think there will be a convergence of MR and VR. I think uh, headsets will, it'll be one in the same. Um, I don't think there are two. I think there'll be one. Um, and I think pass-through technology will continue to improve exponentially. I think the, the level of pass-through is the critical point. What I can switch on and switch off quickly is a friction point. I think hand tracking, uh, 
avatar expression, embodiment, uh, facial uh, expression, uh, and the business use cases of that, uh, your digital workspace will continue to expand very quickly over the next sort of three to five years. Uh, I think us doing this in a virtual space with expressive avatars is not a million miles away. Um, and, and I think we'll probably be, once they solve the recording side of that, I think those will be the, the evolutions that will happen where you can record, uh, you know, an interview in a virtual space very easily. Um, I think that, I think holograms are going to show up. I don't know why I've got a feeling hologram technology will pop up. Uh, so that, which will have a knock on effect on mixed reality. I think they're going to find, I don't know why I just keep waking up in cold sweats, thinking of holograms. Uh, so I don't know if I've just gone mad. Uh, um, I think, um, the spatial computing, uh, that minority report vision, I think, uh, Apple will find a way uh, from an entertainment point of view, from a music mixing point of view, from uh, that side of things to make it very, very fluid and interesting. I think they're the ones who are going to break through that first big hurdle of interactivity within music, film and, and, and shows uh, within their ecosystem uh, because they've got the devices. Everything's connected. And I think once you connect your hands, your watch, your heart rate, your eyes, your Ah, you can do it. You've got, you've got everything. You've got all the data inputs. So it's all about inputs. I think feedback in VR, I'm going to talk for ages now. I think feedback in VR, one of the things that I think people haven't experienced yet, which I was fortunate enough to see early on, uh, you can actually, in VR, you can actually create the sensation of weight. So I can push an object and make it, it you feel as though it's heavier than it is. It's tricks. But, I think those explorations are going to happen more and more. Um, I think it's still a bit basic. Uh, I, I even don't think it's evolved as much as it could have. But I think, you know, once you start feeling weight, that immersion increases and people start getting uh, higher. I think, of course, AI will impact it phenomenally. I think it's a power thing. Uh, things come faster as you can build things quicker. And I think the creator economy within VR for the, I mean, I look at sort of 10-year-olds today, what they're going to be doing in VR in 10 years, I, I don't think we can even imagine in terms of what they're creating. They'll be creating and painting their virtual spaces and then just giving them to you. And I think that will be a, a, a real thing and they'll own it. You'll be visiting their digital space and you'll be paying for it. <laughs> so that's about it. And there's many, many more things. There's many, many more things. Well, I, I think it's, it's Adrian, I've known you for decades. Your curiosity, your creativity and just your raw work ethic, I've always envied. And I really appreciate this conversation. Anything you want to plug or how people can find you? You can find me on LinkedIn. I'm always available. If you've got any questions, feel free. Uh, but yeah, no, I mean, there's nothing really, you know, if anyone wants, even particularly indies, if there's indies out there who just want to talk to someone, have a sounding board, feel free. You know, if there's new developers out there that are trying new stuff, I'm always happy to help. Um, you know, that's what I'm here for. I, I love sharing what the lessons that I've learned. So not a problem. Hit me up. Fantastic. Well, get ready for the herd. <laughs> Adrian, Bring thank you so much for your time. And uh, I hope you have a cooler week. I hope the temperature cools down a little bit. And um, I really appreciate you, man. It's lovely to see you, David. I'm glad you did. This is cool, man. Love it.